Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I know I'm one of many on the airways this morning. Thank you for tuning in here. The sun is out. It's peeking through the stained glass windows here at the church. Uh, I really miss you guys. I would prefer that we could be face-to-face, but hey, we'll take this, right? Today, we're going to be tuning in. Uh, We're going to be looking at Luke 6, Luke's chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. As I said before, I wish we could be together in person. Raise your hand if you test positive for missing your homies. I sure do. Hit the like button if you miss your homeboys and homegirls. Last week, we talked about prayer. We talked about the Lord is calling us and has always called us as a church to pray and intercede and uh, pray for repentance for ourselves, our family, our community, our country, and our world. And uh, I invite you and y'all to just pray with me every day at 7.30 in the morning. When 7.30 a.m. hits, I pray that, uh, I I hope that you will join me in prayer for intercession for all our leaders, uh, our community, all the people. But this week, God put special on my heart that we pray specifically for the prodigals to return home, to pray for those who have once known the Lord but who have also gone a long distance away from him. And I want to pray for them and and look for their return home. During this time, as as a dark cloud begins to grow and creep closer and closer each day, people start turning to God. They're searching. They are uh, wanting security and comfort, some assurance of their future. And, And this repentance, this idea of coming near to the Lord starts with us, and then it spreads to the prodigals, and hopefully it will then spread also to the lost. And as people draw nearer to the Lord, it is our job to teach people to come to Jesus how to walk with him humbly. And in today's passage, we see this picture of people drawing near to God illustrated. So before we get started, I want to pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. So will you pray with me? And then we'll get into Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Father, we pray that you will give us enlightenment into your heart for not just us, not just the prodigals, but for all of the world. That you will reveal to us your truth, and that you will give us the courage and a willing heart to follow your truth no matter the cost. Help us, Lord, to understand you more and more and to surrender our lives to you more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we read that Jesus calls his disciples up to him on a mountain and he appoints 12 ordinary men who will become the leaders of his new mission on earth. They are to join him in what he is doing. And that's where we pick up today. Luke 6, verse 17. So Jesus went down with them, the twelve, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. 
And looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and, be, and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Our story today begins with Jesus and his disciples now coming down from uh, the mountain to this large crowd awaiting them. The imagery here is Jesus calls his disciples up, he appoints them, and then they descend, and now they start their mission together. And all kinds of people are being drawn from all kinds of places to hear and and want to touch Jesus and want to hear his words. They recognize that he has something that they need. They need his words. They need his power. And Jesus, as this happens, does not rebuke them or push them away. In fact, he meets them in their need. But he also wants the people to know that if you really seek to respond fully to God, if you want to serve God the way God wants to be served, then more is required of you than lining up to be healed. It is part of the picture. It's the first step. But Jesus will now begin to lay out what a life with him actually looks like. And he compares two groups of people, the poor and the rich, the humble, the proud, the responsive and the unresponsive. And the way he describes the two groups, the way he describes it, invites us to ponder their meaning. And the question he asks us through this is, which group are you in? Or which group do you want to be in? Do you want to be, or are you in the blessed group? Or are you in the woe to you group, the group that is to be pitied? To be blessed means to have a sense of inner happiness. Good fortune is here or is awaiting you. I want to ask you guys, what is your definition of a blessed life? When do you say, I am blessed? Is it when things are going good? You're feeling good? The money is good? I am blessed. Yes, I am blessed because of this. The relationships in your life are good. Basically, we say there's, there's no suffering going on. There's no pain in my life right now. Well, these things are all based on circumstances. So if the circumstances change, suddenly I am not blessed anymore. Christ's version, God's version of a blessed life contradicts that belief. Despite the circumstances, no matter what is going on, you are blessed 
if you know and you follow Jesus. A blessed life in the eternal timeless sense is having right relationship with God. A blessed life in the eternal sense, it's timeless this way, is having a right relationship with God. Blessing is based on relationship to God, not on circumstances. And Jesus wants all the people who are gathering around to get this message and to understand that it is his desire that people would not just want things from him, but that they would want more, that they would want him, a relationship with him. They would want to join him in his mission. So to the blessed group, the gospel people, the good news group, well-being and fortune are here for you now and await you later. Let's look at the groups together. Blessed are you who are poor. The poor are humble. The social place is outside. They're on the fringe. They're the outcast. The poor recognize their need. The poor recognize their lack. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That seems to contradict. How can a citizen of God be poor? Aren't they rich? God thinks they are. God's king and his domain are yours. It says in the book of James chapter 2, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Blessed are you who hunger now. Those who are hungry are not satisfied. They're looking for more. They ask, they search, there must be more. And he says, you will be satisfied. You will find what you are looking for. You have hope. Blessed are you who weep now. Those who are sad, who mourn and grieve. Perhaps it's over the sin and over the corruption, over the depravity in the world. Jesus says, joy will be yours. Blessed are you when men hate you, the hated group, and you're hated because of your belief and your allegiance to Jesus. You're persecuted, you're excluded, you're rejected. Well, Jesus says there is a reward for you. And a person in this group, a person with these four characteristics, four characteristics, the humble, the hungry, the hurt because of the corruption in the world, the hated, that group is blessed. And they are compared to be like a prophet of old. They are portrayed in a very positive light. Now to the woes group, the group that is to be pitied. There is warning for you. Woe is an exclamation of pain or pity that is for the waiting misfortune for you. I'll say that again. Woe is an exclamation of pain for pity for waiting misfortune. Woe to you who are rich. What you have now is your only comfort. It implies that they will need a different kind of comfort later. What you find comfort in now will run out. It will not be found. Woe to you who are full now, who lack for nothing now. I have everything I need now. You will starve later. Woe to you who laugh now. 
you will mourn and you will weep later. What is pictured here is not a joyful person, but rather those who laugh now are the boastful proud, the condescending, the self-satisfied, the indifferent, without a care. What's illustrated is somebody who laughs at others' misfortune or they mock and scoff at God. Woe to you who are well spoken of like the false prophets. This is a warning to those who seek acceptance at the expense of truthfulness. A closer look at the woeful group resembles the dominant worldview here. Did you notice that? Those who are rich, who lack for nothing, without a care, they're well spoken of, they're approved by all. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we seek? Typically, we consider them to be blessed, right? But there is a warning here to those who live according to that, a warning to them who teach it. They are like false prophets, false gold. And we still have false prophets among us. They promise health and prosperity to those who give financially to their ministry. God will bless you with health and prosperity if you do this. And their message is easy to believe because many of us want that. We want health. We want prosperity. And we want it. We don't want to suffer. And we want Jesus to be our shield from suffering. But Jesus never promises that. In fact, he promises to be a presence for us in the midst of suffering. If you are part of the blessed group, Jesus is almost promising suffering for you. But consider yourself blessed because God is near to you. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. The comparison between these two groups revolve around an attitude of orientation, where our heart is. Do you want God, or do you want things? Do you want God, or do you want money? Do you want God, or do you want fame? Do you want to avoid suffering at the expense of losing God? This is a warning to all who are listening that life-independent of God ultimately leads to destruction. This is actually good news for us who are poor, but bad news for us who are proud. Okay, okay, I've heard the warning. I want to be in the blessed group. What do I do? How do I join? James 4 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God is patiently gracious. He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And the good news is that it is never too late to turn your heart to Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, 
no matter how far away you've been, his grace is sufficient for you. So humble yourself before the Lord and he will heal you. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. To you. Purify your heart. Make it loyal to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Not only then, but he will walk with you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. The psalmist writes in Psalm 138 that though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. This psalm, like many others, points out to us that when trouble comes, the Lord is nearest to us. Take Psalm 23, for example. It says about God, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not want. He leads me, he guides me, he restores me. But then, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You comfort me. You feed me. Are you looking? Are you listening? Those who are poor now, pray for those who are proud now. Those who are proud now, humble yourself. God will meet you in your need. God wants you to join him on his mission. This passage is really just the beginning of Jesus' overall description of what a life with him looks like. In the passages that follow this, uh, he will go more in depth of what an actual follower looks like. And the dominant characteristic of that follower is someone who has Christ-like radical love and mercy. He will define what that love and mercy actually looks like in a practical sense, and it's going to be challenging for us, extremely challenging to us. To follow Jesus is not just to receive, not just to come to him for his words and his power, but also to give and participate in the mission that he is on in the world. God's grace is given to us freely, and his command then is to offer grace freely to others. And as he explains this to the crowd there, some will draw nearer to it, and others will pull away from it. So what is our job this week, church? I believe our job is, as it always has been, to pray and intercede for ourselves our communities, but also our leaders, obviously our healthcare workers, our first responders, but also to intercede for marriages, for parents and families, that they will be healed and mended and solidified. We also can pray and intercede for the healing of our nation and our world. And I ask you once again, to especially pray for the prodigals to return home. Will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to resist the devil so he flees from us. 
Help us to come near to you, God, so that you come near to us. Help us to wash and purify ourselves. Help us to not be double-minded, wanting what the world has and then also what you want. Help us to be singular and focus. Help us to repent. Help us to humble ourselves so that you lift us up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Long ago, God commanded Aaron, the high priest, to pronounce a blessing over his people. And it's very familiar. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God's face shining upon his people meant that he was pleased and delighted with them. And therefore, he blessed them. The image that is being described here is one of a parent holding an infant in their arms with their face turned toward their infant's face. There is light reflected there. The space between them becomes shared. They are closer. They are drawing from the same breath. This blessing is about relationship. Being as close to God as an infant being held in their father's arms. And we pray that the Lord turns his face to us, but not just to us, but to those around us. The Lord is near. Look for him. Listen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's go be the church. Ready, set, break.